Hi, everyone. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm joined today by Rusty Turner, who is our editor uh, for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And we have the opportunity today to visit with David Whitaker, who is running for the Arkansas House of Representatives in District 85. He is a Fayetteville attorney and Air Force veteran, and he is seeking his fifth term um, uh, the two-year term in the House of Representatives and uh, uh, wants to go back uh, starting in January of 2021. And so uh, we'll visit for a little bit and see what uh, makes him want to go back. Um, um, but uh, let's just start off, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the kind of the boundaries of District 85 so people have a clear understanding of what, we're, what area you, you do represent. Thank you, Greg. Uh, good morning, and Rusty, too. Uh, thank you all for this opportunity to visit. And uh, like as we've mentioned before, uh, when we were talking earlier, the opportunity to actually share this with the viewing public for the first time, something that wasn't the norm for editorial uh, interviews in the past. Uh, District 85 is fairly diverse and being, you know, a big chunk of urban area, it's it's fairly compact compared to a lot of house districts in Arkansas. Uh, on the east side, we're bounded pretty much by Highway 265 south of Township. And uh, going down into southeast uh, Fayetteville, encompassing all of uh, Mount Sequoia south of Township, uh, basically out to uh, North College on, on that side of the thing. Uh, I tell a lot of people that if you know what Massachusetts looks like, think of Mount Sequoia's Cape Cod. Uh, and then basically once you get down into around Boston area, you're in Southeast Fayetteville. Uh, the Southern boundary goes down to about Cato Springs area. And then we'll head all the way out to uh, right up to Prairie Grove. Uh, we have a couple of precincts in Prairie Grove and we encompass the entire city of Farmington. Okay, so yeah, some rural and urban both mixed in there. It's 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 balance, and we, but we've seen a lot of change over the in, you know in the eight, nearly eight years I've been there, we've seen the effects of urbanization you know head west into the Farmington Prairie Grove corridor. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the improvements to Highway 62, uh, but general economic growth in the region, it's it's not you know Farmington and West Fayetteville aren't immune to that. So uh, just to start us off, if um, if you'll describe a little bit about your thought process for running for re-election, but also what you think the issues are that uh, uh, generally, but also critical to this particular race, because uh, you do face a, a Republican uh, challenger in the November 3rd election. Um, going Broadly uh, speaking, uh, the motivation for a fifth term is the feeling, of the feeling, and certainly you know my own personal conviction that there are some some things we have yet to achieve. Uh, continue to I continue to work on things, uh, electoral reform. Uh, there are some bills that others have carried in the past that I'll probably be picking up and trying to get across, uh, particularly. Uh, one, one thing that I think is critical is uh, automatic voter registration, where basically the default is you're at 18, you're registered. And of course, 
the versions that I've seen and that I would uh, agree with and file would allow a person who doesn't want to be on that list to opt out. It simply just turns it from an opt-in to an opt-out scenario. I think one of the greatest impediments to voting is very few people understand the registration process. Uh, I, I know there's for a long time people felt, oh, well, if I register to vote, I'll end up in the jury pool. Uh, some of those things have, have changed over time and uh, made that little less likely. Uh, economic growth in our, in this district, and particularly in this, you know, the I-49 uh, I corridor is, uh, needs to be managed, needs to be encouraged. Uh, we need to continue to push forward to uh, work on transportation infrastructure here in the area. Uh, I'm thrilled that we as a district uh, are home to three of one, three of the strongest school districts in the state. And so while locally we don't we don't have the hill to climb that so many other Arkansans do, you know, there's uh, obligations to this the larger state. You know, as even though we represent individual districts, we have an obligation to all of Arkansas in what we do and, and the bills we put forward. Okay, and particular to this uh to this election cycle, um, any issues cropping up? I know you've had limited opportunities to really engage in any uh, significant debate or discussion with your opponent, but uh, anything that you think will be on the voters' minds in particular? Uh, in my district, I can tell you, uh, I've had, I am lucky that I'm able to, you know, with modern technology, we have other means of communication. Uh, so I've been able to actually get feedback from a good number of folks. And uh, District 85 doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, the difficulty uh, with, you know, that we've seen across the country with uh, the strife associated with uh, police misconduct, uh, Black Lives Matter movement, these things are real. Um, and there's a good number of folks in my district who, who who feel the who feel the impact of this, these issues? Uh, talking with other colleagues, we're going to be looking at uh, not so much defunding police, which I, I you know I, I have a personal problem with that phraseology because it's ridiculous. We're not going to get rid of a, you know necessary public safety, uh, but certainly reimagining what uh, the role of community, what the role of police are in our community. It's not that we have to re, we don't have to invent it into something we've never had before, but it, it's, it's in a hope to re-examine where we were with all policing used to be community policing. Everybody knew who the cop was. I know in Fayetteville, people speak fondly and knowing when Glenn Riggins had the speed trap set up on south of town. Uh, we knew our, we knew the police, the people that did this for us. Uh, I think we also need to look at community policing and recruit more social workers than soldiers because somebody the other day said something that struck home with me i think our arkansas police should be more mayberry and less fallujah so those are, those are things that are that are topical and they're new i mean the issues that drive them aren't new don't get me wrong uh, they've been with us obviously for the better part of american history but these were not on the legislative agenda before this cycle. Uh, honestly, and I'll, I'll tell you something that I've come to understand in nearly eight years of being there, 
we probably don't know what the issue is because it has never failed that we will have a whole laundry list of things we want to do and what we think the session will be about and we'll get in there in January and somebody's pension fund will fail or there will be some kind of great, uh, you know, disaster slash negative economic trend that we're going to have to address. Uh, the honest truth is the federal money is starting to run out and some of the solutions we thought we had can't be financed locally. They're simply on a scale that would, you know, number one, we're talking about people who have uh, lost their jobs or are working a lot fewer hours or are worried about losing the small business they've worked hard to build. They're not in a position to, you know, to fund any further relief. Um, it, so if the federal government doesn't act, we may have, we may have some serious revisiting to do. I've been, I'm thrilled that we've been blessed that the economy in Arkansas has so far been pretty resilient. Uh, the number, the numbers are good for where, where we are, but we're not out of the woods yet. And that, that I think we may end up spending a good bit of time trying to fix that. If it's not, if, if we don't get any further help from Washington. The, um, you touched on the uh, sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, race relations and law enforcement. Um, and and you, you talked a little bit about uh, some of your thoughts on that. What is the appropriate role for the, for the legislature um, to, to deal with that? Because most of, well, practically all of uh, law enforcement is local uh, to a great degree, sheriffs and police departments. Uh, so what, what is the, the right role for you guys to go into Little Rock and, and, uh, and make a difference within the realm of race relations and law enforcement? Well, you're absolutely correct. The actual, the actual administration of law enforcement needs to stay local. Um, I, don't, I won't get off on my soapbox about home rule and the, and the growing tendency of Little Rock to rule directly. Uh, but our appropriate role is in, is reexamining our criminal code because we have things built in that we never never noticed, never thought about um, that made sense historically under other circumstances that are embedded in our criminal code and need to be pulled out. Um, we need to the state dictates things like you know when force is appropriate. The date uh, dictates what are arrestable offenses. Um, some things are already in the code that may just need to be clarified. Uh, we need a greater use of citation in lieu of arrest because there's a whole lot of folks that don't need to be in jail. And currently the default's always been put them in jail. Uh, that's not only counterproductive from an economic standpoint, but it's also, it's, it's not good for the person you're putting in jail or the society that incarcerates way too many of its own citizens. Uh, many of these folks uh, are caught up in a cycle of substance abuse, which is often self-medication for untreated mental illness. Uh, they, simply, they simply need to be treated before we, every, the default doesn't need to be prison anymore, Not doesn't need to be 30 days in the county jail. Uh, that and other things such as some of the criminal procedural things about how uh, warrants are served, et cetera, et cetera, that would re that would we can fine tune to reduce the possibility of 
armed confrontation between police and citizens. That's our role is, is to fix the state code and, and, and to give our, our police departments and sheriff departments the, the resources they need to make these transitions, uh, fully funding and expanding the crisis st uh, stabilization units. Uh, we currently have the four pilots when I'm here in Washington County, but we still haven't, we haven't committed to it and we haven't committed to fund it and we have to figure out how because that's where that's that's the key to fixing this thing is treating illness rather than putting in locking people in jail cells and um, yeah I've, we've had a lot of discussions at at the uh, washington county level in terms of uh, either expanding the jail or or coming up with alternatives and and uh, so much of that is beyond the realm of a city council or a quorum court Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the kinds of social services, the drug abuse treatment, uh, all those sorts of things. And so, um, uh, you, you feel like that that is something the legislature needs to pay a little more attention to. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, David, I want to shift gears and ask you about, um, the state's response to COVID-19. Uh, and, and what's your evaluation of that? Uh, what, if anything, would you have done differently or would you have liked to have seen done differently? And uh, we'll, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I think overall, uh, we've done a good job of playing catch up. Uh, I, I worry, you know, my personal feelings was, is that there was far too casual a tone set early on much of it came down from the national level and it, but it, it seems to have spread also to our governor's desire to make everything appear and stay as normal as possible. And, and you can't cite someone for that, but I think, and my own feelings are in a public health emergency, you sometimes have to do things a little quicker and a little stricter than you would if it were, if it were any other issue when you're talking about the spread of what we know is a deadly disease uh, early on, could have, could have, the tone and actions could have been stronger and quicker. That being said, uh, we've done a pretty good job of catching up. Um, I'm not thrilled with the numbers that, you know, I think you reach a certain point in, in a community spread where you really can't put the horse back in the barn. Uh, we're doing better. Uh, we didn't go from 1,100 to 2,400 a day, and some states and some countries have seen that. So yes, we, we, we've done a pretty good job of catching up. I am glad to see when I go places much more compliance with the face mask requirements. Uh, I'm married to someone who's a frontline healthcare worker here in Washington County, and I can tell you early on, I was hearing the stories of what this disease does to a human being. And it's not pretty. And the sad truth, it's like Russian roulette, because whether you're, you can, you can be 84 and be nearly asymptomatic, have deal with a few bouts of fatigue and be fine. You can be 27 and be the same way, or suddenly your body starts clotting, your blood starts clotting abnormally. Your lungs fill with what's described as like wet concrete. I mean, this, this is a, this is a hideous disease. And early on, it was clear to me just talking to my wife and the other folks on the front lines that masking was the clearest, easiest way to stop the spread. And I felt we should have gone to a, a mandatory mask requirement earlier. 
right? Some of your colleagues have um, expressed their displeasure uh, with the state health department's uh, response uh, and, and restrictions, uh, and also the governor's uh, um, use of the Emergency Powers Act and extension of multiple extensions of the M Emergency Powers Act. Um, so much so they filed a lawsuit. Can you give us your take on that lawsuit? What what you think about that? Yeah, um, having you know, being a, being an attorney myself, I can tell you that that. Sometimes when you see lawsuits, you know there somebody's been injured, and sometimes you see somebody wants to get in the newspaper. And I, sadly, I think this particular lawsuit falls squarely in that second column. Uh, for whatever reason, this minor, this uh, renegade minority group of uh, House and Senate Republicans uh, didn't feel that their they didn't feel comfortable or ready to run on their own party's platforms or to defend their governor. So basically, if you read the complaint, it reads as if it's a separate platform slash manifesto of what they believe. Um, I, I don't think it's a good use of our court system. Uh, it's ironic that so many of them that are signed on to this are the first ones to complain about frivolous lawsuits until they file theirs. Uh, I don't see while I don't agree with the governor on everything he's done, I don't see the kind of uh, abuse of his emergency powers that people are alleging. Just my take. Okay, um, that, that's fair. Um, there have been some suggestions um, that I think Greg may be having an issue with his pet. Yeah, we have a puppy situation. My, yes, my dog is coughing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. It's all good. It's all good. Love yeah. dog. So uh, anyway, I apologize about the interruption. Uh, some, some folks uh, have, have said that, that while they understand the governor, the need for the governor and the state health department to act in an emergency situation, there perhaps the, there are ways to alter uh, 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 the statutes uh, regarding emergency powers uh, to involve the legislature more. Do you have any thoughts about that? Is that something you think uh, is worth exploring when the session starts again? I'd be willing to listen to their proposals, but you also, but you have to understand emergency powers exist for the very reason that the normal process is often cumbersome. And you're also, and, and if you spend any time here at all, and, and that's one of the benefits of, of having served a few terms is, you know that if somebody wants to make a political point, they can bog the system down fairly quickly by putting a hold on a bill, uh, putting a hold on an appropriation, uh, re-referring something to committee. And meanwhile, you have public health needs that need to be taken care of immediately that are on hold until the legislature stops. So while, yeah, I, I'm all ears, I'd like to hear what they would suggest as a, as a good counter, uh, improving on, on the emergency rules we've adopted, which allow our Senate and House leadership to hear these things and sign off on them without calling us all back into session. And the, the liberal use of uh, the emergency meetings of legislative council, one of the reasons I had to reschedule to get to Little Rock on Thursday was, uh, as, as you probably know, legislative council usually only meets once a month during the interim, but we our leadership has been good about letting it, you know, invoking the emergency clauses built into those rules to let us work on things. Uh, Long story short, I'd be interested in hearing their proposals, but at some point, it's not really emergency 
It's not emergency powers if you can't if you can't use them in an emergency. The uh, your question. Uh, yes, thank you. Okay. The uh, you know I, I don't want to necessarily get into too much about what uh, your opponent says versus uh, all of that, but I did get a flyer in the mail mm -hmm. just the other day that uh, suggested uh, you know the kind of the I guess you would consider it kind of the typical attack on a on a Democrat would be you know that you're just uh, about taxation. Uh, that you've approved, approved some astronomical mm -hmm. uh, numbers in terms of taxation, uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to, to address that. Uh, yeah, and, and you said it's, it's pretty typical stuff. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the, the whole uh, Gingrich contract uh, for America, which was based on, you know, Democrats spend, too, we want to tax you to death and uh, we're all going to sign Grover Norquist's anti-tax pledge, but you know, so I'm not shocked by it. And uh, of all the of all the ugly things that can be said about you, the the idea that you would uh, agree with the governor that we need a sustainable uh, funding mechanism for highway infrastructure in Arkansas after decades of of going back and forth with no good answers uh, and piecemeal funding. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm guilty. Uh, the honest truth is nobody likes taking hard votes that require, you know, tax increases. Uh, and, and this last session, uh, much of the stuff that's in that flyer that I'm aware of are from the last, the most recent session of the legislature. Uh, every one of them went for needed infrastructure improvements. Uh, were we set, did we set out to raise taxes? No, we set out to make sure that A, we had a sustainable highway transportation funding formula since the fuel tax is no longer reliable. And we had, we had, uh, we had expenses and revenues crossing the wrong direction on the graph and no, no foreseeable future where we'd ever actually get enough money out of the fuels tax to ever pay for a mile of highway again. Uh, some of the other things on there, uh, quote unquote tax on cell phones. Well, yes, a charge was added to cell phone bills to help us get a comprehensive, modern, smart 911 system for the state so that public safety, which is one of our primary duties in government, was adequately taken care of. Uh, every sheriff, every regional EMT organization came to us and said, This, we need this. And the truth is, uh, the, the surcharges and taxes that we used to get off landlines, much like a fuel tax, aren't there anymore, folks. So if you're going to pay for a statewide smart 911, you've got to go where, you know, you got, you got to go where the money is, which is, you know, on cell bills now. Uh, clean water, one of the, one of those authorizing water authorities to, you know, raise a certain fee. It didn't actually raise the fee, it simply raised the cap. It had been 30, uh, a 30 cent, I think it went up to a 40 cent cap. Uh, water associations came to us and said, we need this to be able to provide clean and safe drinking water to people of Arkansas. Again, one of the bedrock reasons governments exist is to make sure people have clean drinking water, uh, basic needs. Uh, on and on again, the whole list was. Uh, I think the most telling thing though, is each one of those bills 
passed with a large majority. They were sponsored by Republican legislators. They were part of the governor's legislative package. So yes, for Democrats, these were tough votes, but we did them because at the end of the day, it's about what's best for Arkansas. Uh, did, we did, did we go all out and make it as high as we could? No, I mean, the truth is, I thought they were, they were responsible amounts. Um, when you get into the highway bills, I, I have some issues with certain ways certain fees were uh, formulated. I think in the long term, we can go back and revisit those and make them fairer. But we, we absolutely couldn't push, push that off any longer. So while I'll acknowledge those are tough votes, uh, I, I, I do them all over again because there were things that this state needs. Um, so I'm assuming by your answer, you do support, uh, issue one, uh, on the ballot, the extension of the 50, uh, the, uh, half cent sales tax on, uh, for highways. Yes, I do for, for, you know, as you said, it's an extension of existing one. And so it's, it's less pain. So anytime you have, anytime you have to generate revenue, you want to try the, you hope you can find the least painful way to do it. Uh, it's, it, I don't. Yes. Did I have misgivings about it not ever having a sunset? Yes, I do. It was one of the things I mentioned earlier were things that I don't know that, you know, forever I'm going to be a fan of it. Um, I wasn't happy with uh, the basic, you know, just numbers that appeared to just come out of the air on electric and hybrid cars. Uh, I would have liked to have seen some kind of, uh, some kind of statistics and charts that showed me why that's a, that $100 and $200 fee had some rational relation to the use of our highways. Uh, I think they, it needed to happen because what, no matter what you use as the motive force of your vehicle, whether it's electric or gasoline or compressed air or whatever, the fact is until, in, as long as your tires are on that road, you're putting wear and tear on the road. And since you're not paying a fuel tax, there's, equity says suggests that you should pay some way. I just would like, I think in the future, one of the things we'd revisit is how to fix that. The half cent sales tax, I, it's just part of a larger package of a compromise that was years in the making I alluded to before. Uh, I watched during my first six years as God bless him, Dan Douglas tried every kind of compromise package we could to get a real highway funding bill. And we just kept, at the end of the day, it was, each of those contains something that we just simply couldn't do. Um, I've mentioned in some earlier interviews, my resistance to just opening the, the general revenue to unlimited highway spending, because I worry like others do that it would eventually just eat the budget. The, um, uh, there has been discussion uh, for years now over the large and medium-sized hog farms over around the Buffalo River. Uh, that one in particular that the, that the state uh, ended up buying out. Um, and the proposal has been a permanent moratorium on those within the watershed of the Buffalo River. And that has uh, met with uh, some, some resistance among lawmakers, I think the Legislative Council. Um, uh, do you favor that sort of approach to protecting the Buffalo National River? Are you talking, referring to the permanent moratorium on, yeah, yes. uh, permanent moratorium, not on hog farms. Let's get, let's get very clear here. 
Uh, I, I was born down in South Georgia and grew up in an agricultural world all my life. Uh, I got no problem with people raising hogs as long as they're upwind from me. Uh, what we're talking about is a very specific operation, uh, a CAFO, or what is it, a consol uh, consolidated animal feeding operation or concentrated animal feeding operation, which is not Farmer Brown and his six hogs. We're talking an industrial complex with thousands jammed into one small space. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know, but my gut tells me that may not be very sustainable in anybody's watershed. But I do know this, in the watershed of our only national river, or the very first one there ever was, and for good reason, is, is just not a good idea. It, you know, Governor Beebe has to take his lumps. It was his, it was on, it happened on his watch. You know, I don't care who did it. It, it, it needed more study. These kinds of things just can't be put into uh, sensitive watersheds like that. And I have, I've, I've supported the moratorium, a permanent moratorium since the day this whole story broke. And, and I support it now. Uh, I, I, I don't want to, not saying we're going to lock agriculture out of these areas, but there's certain levels of industrial agriculture that are no better than, you know, putting a, a paper mill. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, at the end of the day, regardless of what's generating the dangerous waste, you're still in an area where it, it can do acute harm that we can't undo. Like I, like I mentioned to one person, we can raise hogs all over Arkansas, but we only got one Buffalo River. So given the status of, of that moratorium, which, which at least you know, from the outside looking in doesn't appear to be headed anywhere for the moment, um, what do we do about the Buffalo River? Honestly, I, uh, and I don't wanna to get too deep in the weeds here on the separation of powers and how administrative procedures work. Uh, there's those in the governor's office and, and, and those of us in government generally, who believe that the, the governor and his uh, executive agencies have the authority to go forward with that rule with, without, no matter what kind of things we pass saying, we have the authority to set uh, executive agencies agendas. So my understanding is uh, that any rule they want to adopt, they can adopt without us. Uh, I think with, an, with what, we're coming up in two years on another gubernatorial cycle. I think it's a worthwhile thing to ask every candidate for governor where they stand on it. Because at this point, as long as sentiment is the way it is in the legislature, it's going to require a governor who's committed to saving the wild places of Arkansas. Um, we're down to our last minute or two. I wanted to just uh, give you an opportunity if there's something we haven't asked about. Uh, it, it, that uh, you feel like is important for people to know before November 3rd, uh, now's your opportunity. Okay. Two things, very quickly, regardless of your party, regardless of your political affiliations, the events of the last few years, if nothing else, should drive home to you the importance of being involved in the operation of your government. That means registering to vote. You, you, as of right now, they've got until this uh, close of business today if uh, to be registered. Yeah, today being October 5th. Yeah, today being the 5th of October. But of course, by the time anybody sees this, that deadline will have passed. Uh, those, if you are registered, for all, by all means, vote. 
uh, take advantage, if you're afraid to go out, uh, take, take advantage of the absentee. If you, what I'm personally doing is I'm pretty familiar with most of my early voting sites. And I also know that from past experience, if you go early in the week, uh, in that first week, there's almost never anyone there. So you, spacing is going to be going to be much easier. Uh, wear a mask, do all that, you know, wear, use your hand sanitizer, all the things you would do if you're going out anywhere else. Uh, there's early voting sites no more susceptible to this virus than your grocery store. So if you if you're doing the smart stuff when you go to buy a jug of milk, do the same things to go vote. But it's so important now more than ever to be involved, to have your say, to be a part of this. And finally, just one thing I always like to leave on a high, a high note is somebody asked me the other day about, well, with this whole pandemic, is there any good come from it? And I can tell you from a legislative standpoint here in Arkansas, I can think of three things right away that are incredible examples of how something good is going to come of this. Putting aside all the public health things we're learning, and we're learning a lot there. I'm looking at things like suddenly I don't have to argue with my colleagues about the need to spend the millions of dollars to push broadband to every community in the state. That's going to happen. And thank goodness, because in the long term, economically, educationally, medically, it's going to change things. On that same note, we were able to authorize the emergency funding of uh, to let PBS Arkansas add state-of-the-art transmitters so that nine, in excess of 97% of the folks who may not have online access can turn on their television and get Arkansas PBS. We had, we had about a quarter of the state missing out on that. They were, have, they were, they were getting Mississippi, Tennessee educational, but they were getting our, our educational stuff. And we learned early on when we closed schools last spring that PBS has a role to play in you know, offline education when folks are not necessarily able to get to a computer, but uh, lesson plans can be supplemented there. And finally, on, on the same related note, uh, people all over have unsolicited told me how incredibly thrilled they are with how telemedicine works. This was something everybody said, well, it's not proven. We don't know whether we want to go there, but well, we tried it now. And I got to tell you, my constituents, when they tell me, they, they're like, let's keep this because for, you know, the most of what I need from a doctor, I don't need to go sit in a room, you know, in a waiting room with a bunch of other sick people. Uh, or, you know, I can, you know, my doctor likes it better because we can schedule it after five o'clock when both of us can get together. Uh, I personally, uh, you know, visit my own cardiologist uh, online and it's, uh, it's better than going to have it hang out in the clinic for half an afternoon. Uh, and I know for them, it, it's made managing schedules and, and actually seeing patients more often because people aren't quite as quick to defer appointments because it's not a big deal to see your doctor with telemedicine. So those are the kind of things we, some of the good that has come from this, and I hope that uh, we'll find more, we'll discover more. And, you know, someday, pretty sooner than, you know, some folks think we're gonna get back to where we can, you know, go to the farmer's market, uh, see our grandchildren, uh, have a cookout with our neighbors and just uh, you know, get back to enjoying our lives again. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, is, is, is having a country and a society where we can all raise our families and enjoy our lives.
but thank you all for everything. Yeah, we sure appreciate your time. Uh, best of wishes to you in the, in the coming weeks before the election and certainly thereafter. Thank you. All Thanks, right. Dave. Take care of yourself. You too.